Welcome to Russian History Retold, Episode 239, The Development of Russian Literature, Part 2. Last time, we covered the golden age of literature in Russia, but I forgot to include two important authors, Nikolai Gogol and Mikhail saltikov Shishurdin. Before I talk about the Silver Age and Soviet Ages, I'll cover the two missing members of the literary fraternity. Today, we also wrap up this series. Nikolai Vasilyevich Gogol-Yanovsky was born in central Ukraine in 1809. His Ukrainian birth would always influence his writing, even after he was deemed to be Russian in order to gain greater acceptance there. Gogol was one of the first to use the techniques of surrealism and the grotesque in his works, which included The Nose, The Overcoat, and Yevsky Prospect. According to Viktor Shuklovsky, Gogol's strange style of writing resembles the Ostranini technique. Ostranini technique, also known as defamiliarization, is the artistic style of presenting audiences common things in an unfamiliar or strange way so they can get new perspectives and see the world differently. Gogol would be one of the first and most successful writers to use this technique. His early works, such as Evenings on a Farm Near Dikanka, were heavily influenced by his Ukrainian upbringing, Ukrainian culture, and folklore. His later writings satirized political corruption in the Russian Empire. These included The Government Inspector and Dead Souls. The novel Taras Bulba, which was published in 1835, and the play Marriage, published in 1842, were classics. Gogol's short stories, Diary of a Madman, the tale of how Ivan Ivanovich quarreled with Ivan Nikiforovich, the portrait and the carriage, are also amongst his best-known works. After returning from Jerusalem in 1848, Gogol would wander around the country, seemingly lost. He would begin a deeper relationship with someone known as a staretz, or spiritual leader, Matvey Kostantanovsky, who warned him that his literary work would cause him to be damned to hell. Gogol would begin to lead an aesthetic life, denying himself basic needs of food and shelter. This would cause his health to suffer, leading to his death on February 21st, 1852, at the tender age of 42. Mikhail saltikov Shishedrin, who went by the pen name Nikolai Shishedrin, was born in 1826 to an ancient Russian family. The Saltikovs had a long history in the upper echelon of Russia, including the Tsarista Praskovia Saltikova and her daughter, Empress Anna. His family's ownership of serfs would greatly disturb Mikhail. He would write, quote, In my childhood and teenage years, I witnessed serfdom at its worst. It saturated all strata of social life, not just the landlords and the enslaved masses, degrading all classes privileged or otherwise, with its atmosphere of a total lack of rights, when fraud and trickery were the order of the day, and there was an all-pervading fear of being crushed and destroyed at any moment. This feeling would lead to the novel Old Years in Poshkanoye, 
Saltikov Shashedrin is regarded to be the most prominent satirist in the history of Russian literature. According to critic and biographer Maria Goryachinkina, he's managed to compile, quote, unquote, the satirical encyclopedia of contemporary Russian life, targeting first serfdom with its degrading effect upon the society, then, after its abolition, corruption, bureaucratic inefficiency, opportunistic tendencies and intelligentsia, greed and amorality of those at power, but also apathy, meekness, and social immobility of the common people of Russia. Maxim Gorky, who we will talk about later and later on this year, we'll have a complete episode on, wrote this about Saltikov Shashedrin in 1909, quote, The importance of his satire is immense. First, for its almost clairvoyant vision of the path the Russian society had to travel from 1860s to nowadays. He would be a darling of the left, having been visited in his old age by Vladimir Lenin's brother Alexander and sister Anna. Saltikov Shashedrin would pass away on May 10, 1889, at the age of 63, but his works would inspire a whole new generation of writers. This era would be known as the Silver Age of Russian literature. While the Golden Age had its fair share of novelists and poets, the Silver Age was dominated by poets. They included names like Marina Tsvetseva, Osip Mandelstam, Boris Pasternak, and someone we covered in a previous episode, Anna Akhmatova. There were some novelists and short story writers such as Alexander Krupin, Nobel Prize winner Ivan Bunin, who we'll also do a full episode on, Leonid Andreev, Fyodor Sologub, Alexei Remizov, Yevgeny Zamyatin, Alexander Belyev, Dmitry Merezhkovsky, and Andrei Beli. Some of the aforementioned authors who would embrace the coming Bolshevik Revolution, others like Mandelstam, Akhmatova, Pasternak, Svetyeva, Babel, and Gumilov would either lose their lives or suffer greatly under the communists. The Silver Age was one of upheaval and uncertainty, something that would be seen through the words put to paper of these great Russian writers. Since we're dealing with dozens of writers over a wide range of eras, I'll focus on those who I believe are the most important. In the Silver Age, we have Marina Tsevetseva, Osip Mendelstam, Ivan Bunin, and Boris Pasternak, another person we're going to do a complete episode later on in this year. The latter cover two eras, the Silver and the Late Soviet. As for the Lenin era, we have three. Isaac Babel, Alexander Vividensky, and Mikhail Bulgakov, who is also considered a Silver Era writer. In the Stalin era, we have Maxim Gorky and Nikolai Ostrovsky. Within the last era we'll be talking about, the late Soviet era, we have the aforementioned Boris Pasternak, alongside Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and Nobel Prize-winning poet Joseph Brodsky. Marina Ivanovna Tsvetieva was born in 1892 in Moscow. She was considered one of the greatest writers in the 20th century. Her life was wrought with incredible tragedy, poverty, and considerable tension. Her mother, a concert pianist, was Marina's father's Ivan's second wife, 
Ivan was a professor of fine art at the University of Moscow. He had two children from his first marriage, children who would create a tense home environment. In 1902, her mother would contract tuberculosis, causing the family to move to Nervi, Italy, near Genoa. She would die in 1906 when Marina was 14. Her mother had pushed her daughter to study piano, but Marina was set on becoming a poet. As she would write, with a mother like her, I had only one choice, to become a poet. Marina would be sent to numerous schools throughout Europe, learning Italian, French, and German. Her own first collection of poems, known as the Evening Album, was self-published in 1910. It would showcase her considerable reputation as a poet. A cocktail, a hotbed of literary minds. Tsevateva would meet Sergei Yaklovich Efron, a 17-year-old cadet in the Officers' Academy. She was 19, and then when they fell in love in 1912, he was 18, and they were married. Her literary career would take off, but with the impending Russian Revolution hanging over her head, it wouldn't last very long within Russia. After the Bolshevik takeover in 1917, Marina would spend the next five years enduring the Great Moscow Famine. Her first daughter would die of the famine, causing her great emotional grief. Her husband would fight against the Bolsheviks, which would cause both of them to leave Russia in 1922. They would reunite in Berlin that same year. In 1925, they would decide to make Paris their permanent home for the next 14 years. During this time, Sergei would begin to work for the Soviet secret police, the NKVD. He would be forced to flee France after he was implicated in the assassination of a Russian emigre. Sergei was also thought to have been involved in the murder of Leon Trotsky's son, Lev, in 1936. By 1939, Sergei and Marina longed to return to Russia, not knowing what their fate would be. Sergei and their daughter, Alia, were arrested on espionage charges in 1941, with Efron being sentenced to death. Alia's fiancé was actually an NKVD agent who had been assigned to spy on the family. Efron was shot in 1941. Alia served over eight years in prison. The pressure exerted on Svetseva was so great that on August 31st, 1941, she would commit suicide by hanging herself. All the pain she endured during her short life would come out in her poetry. As a lyrical poet, her passion and daring linguistic experimentation mark her as an amazing reviewer of the early Soviet times and the depths of the human condition. Osip Emilievich Mandelstam, born in 1891 in Warsaw, Poland, would become the leader of what was known as the Acmeist School, or the Guild of Poets, which emerged in 1912 in Russia under the leadership of Nikolai Gumilov and Sergei Gororetsky. Mandelstam's education was stellar, having studied at the Sorbonne in Paris, among other stops, as he was the son of a wealthy Jewish-Polish family. Unlike many others of the Jewish faith, Mandelstam's family was permitted to move from the Pale of the Settlement to St. Petersburg. As he wanted to attend the city's prestigious university, which banned Jews, he converted to Methodism in 1911. Mandelstam, though, would never complete his degree at the University of St. Petersburg. 
the Guild of Poets would not only include Mandelstam, but it would include people like Mikhail Guzman, Anna Akhmatova, and Georgi Ivanov. They would meet in the Stray Dog Cafe in St. Petersburg. It was a famous meeting place for artists and writers. Mandelstam's collection of poems, Stone, published in 1912, is considered the movement's finest accomplishment. When the Russian Revolution took place in 1917, many of the poets in the Mendelstam circle of friends would cheer it at first, but over the years, they would become highly disillusioned with its suppressive nature. They would write poems satirizing the Bolshevik leadership, something that you could guess would invariably land them in trouble. Mendelstam would make the unfortunate mistake of mocking Joseph Stalin with his reading of the Stalin epigram, also known as the Kremlin Highlander. It would lead to his first arrest in 1934. To his surprise, he was not executed nor sent to the Gulag. Instead, he was sent into temporary exile in Voronezh. After three years in exile, where he was allowed to write whatever he wanted, he moved to Tver as he was no longer allowed to return to Moscow. This was done on purpose to avoid any publicity when he would be arrested yet again in the midst of the Great Purge and Great Terror of 1937. Mandelstam would be charged with counter-revolutionary activities. His sentence was to be sent to a gulag, but he would never arrive, as he died at a transit camp near Vladivostok. Mandelstam was 47, but when he died, he looked more like an old man in his 80s. Ivan Alexeyevich Bunin was born in Voronezh in 1870, and he was the first Russian writer to be awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature. Best known for his short stories, The Village, published in 1910, and Dry Valley, which came out in 1912, he would write an autobiographical novel, The Life of Arsenia Valong, with a book of short stories, Dark Avenues, which came out in 1946, 26 years after he left Russia. Bunin would publish his diary of the years between 1917 and 18, entitled Cursed Days. Ivan would criticize the Tsarist regime, the plight of the peasants, the provisional government, and the Bolsheviks. He would leave Russia in 1920, boarding the last boat out of Odessa. Bunin was a revered figure amongst anti-communist white emigres, European critics, and many of his fellow writers who viewed him as a true heir to the tradition of realism in Russian literature established by Tolstoy and Chekhov. By early 1917, Bunin and Maxim Gorky would have a massive falling out, causing them to completely break off communications for the rest of their lives. Gorky believed in the coming revolution, while Bunin was diametrically opposed to it. In 1920, Bunin and his wife settled down in Paris after brief stops in Sofia and Belgrade. From here, Ivan would continue to publish his work. Much of it was criticisms of the Bolshevik government. He would write, quote, There was Russia, inhabited by a mighty family, which had been created by the blessed work of countless generations. What was then done to them? They paid for the disposal of the rural ruler with the destruction of literary the whole home and with him unheard of fratricide. A bastard, a moral idiot from birth, Lenin presented to the world at the height of his activities something monstrous, staggering, 
It discorded the largest country of the earth and killed millions of people. And in broad daylight, is being disputed, was he a benefactor of the mankind or not? In 1933, Boonin would become the first Russian writer to win the Nobel Prize for Literature. In the USSR, Boonin's triumph was explained as, quote-unquote, an imperialistic intrigue. After reviewing the rest of his life doing research on Boonin, I've decided to do an entire episode on him. It is quite remarkable, especially his heroic actions during the Nazi occupation of France during World War II. Boonin would pass away on November 9th, 1954, at the age of 83. He would live a full and incredible life, something I can't wait to tell you about in the very near future. Next up is someone whose literary work, especially one novel, Dr. Zhivago, would be known throughout the world, Boris Leonidovich Pasternak. Back in episode 195, did an entire show on this legendary author, Suffice it to say, his works warranted the attention. Pasternak would win the 1958 Nobel Prize for Literature, but was forced to refuse it. Even though he did this publicly, the Soviet government, and Khrushchev in particular, was still angry with him. There was a movement to permanently exile Pasternak to the West, something that appalled the author. He would write the following to the Soviet premier, quote, I'm addressing you personally, the CC of the CPSS and the Soviet government. From Comrade Semichastny's speech, I learned that the government would put not put any obstacles in the way of my departure from the USSR. For me, this is impossible. I am tied to Russia by birth, my life, and work. I cannot conceive of my destiny separate from Russia or outside it. Whatever my mistakes or failings, I could not imagine that I should find myself at the center of such a political campaign as had been worked up around my name in the West. Once I was aware of this, I informed the Swedish Academy of my voluntary renunciation of the Nobel Prize. Departure beyond the borders of my country would, for me, be tantamount to death, and I therefore request you not take this extreme measure with me. With my hand on my heart, I can say that I've done something for Soviet literature, and may still be of use to it. There are rumors which believe that the CIA was involved in Dr. Zhivago being smuggled out of the USSR and translated into English in order to give him a chance to win the Nobel Prize. While I'm not a big conspiracy fan, there's ample evidence that there, this scenario was likely to be true. Boris Pasternak would die of lung cancer on May 30th, 1960. Along with numerous foreign reporters, thousands of admirers braved Army and KGB surveillance to attend Pasternak's funeral in Peridilenko. Such was the love of the greatness and honesty of his work. Mikhail Afanasyevich Bulgakov, born in Kiev in 1891, Bulgakov would be influential in the Silver, Lenin, and Stalin era of Russian-Soviet literature. He is best known for his novel, The Master and Margarita, published after his death in 1940. It was thought to be one of the masterpieces of 20th century. Bulgakov would not see most of his work published during his lifetime, as it was considered to be anti-Soviet, especially by Joseph Stalin. 
Even though Stalin deemed much of his work subversive, there were pieces of his writing that greatly impressed the boss. The Days of the Turbans, a four-part play based on Bulgakov's novel The White Guard, was initially trashed by the Soviet media, but Stalin loved it, supposedly attending the play 15 times. After it had been banned in 1929, Bulgakov sent letters to Stalin begging for him to intercede, but if it was to continue being prohibited from being performed, he would not be allowed to emigrate from the Soviet Union to join his extended family in France. Stalin refused his request to leave the USSR, but eventually allowed the play to resume in 1932. Much of what Bulgakov would write between the Russian Revolution of 1917 and the end of his life in 1914 was critical of the Bolsheviks, as well as many of the whites who unsuccessfully fought against the Reds during the Russian Civil War. Because of this, his works would go unpublished until well after his death. Bulgakov's influence within Russian literary circles is undeniable. Even more impressive are those authors outside his homeland were greatly moved by his writings. Salman Rushdie said that The Master and Margarita was an inspiration for his 1988 novel, The Satanic Verses. Thirteen movies have been produced based on the works of Bulgakov, with the last one being A Young Doctor's Notebook, a 2012-13 British miniseries produced by the BBC with John Hamm and Daniel Radcliffe playing main parts. To put things into perspective in the time period we're in now, Joseph Stalin was fully in charge, and literature was under strict censorship. As I've mentioned, several prominent writers were either sent to the gulags or executed. Obviously, it was challenging to be a writer in the Soviet Union. Our next author to discuss is Mikhail Sholokhov. Born on May 24, 1905, to peasant parents in Russia's Don Cossack host region. At the age of 13, he would join up with the Bolsheviks and fight in the Russian Civil War. At the age of 13. Typically, the Don Cossacks would fight on the side of the whites, but the Sholokhov's family were considered outsiders or ingordnya, a disparaging term for poor people could not participate in the elections of the officials of the host. Sholokhov would begin writing at the age of 17, completing his first published short story, The Birthmark, when he was 19. At the age of 22, Sholokhov would move to Moscow with the hopes of becoming a journalist. Instead, he was forced to work as a manual laborer for years. Sholokhov would finally succeed in writing a novel called Tales from the Dawn in 1926 while living in his hometown of Veshnitskaya. The book was based on his personal experiences in his native region during World War I and the Russian Civil War. In 1930, Sholokhov would meet with Joseph Stalin, and it would make him one of the very few people who could dare to tell Stalin the truth about what was really happening in the Soviet Union without any concerns for his safety. This would allow his works to be distributed throughout the USSR, and would win him the 1941 State Stalin Prize for the four-part novel, Quiet Runs the Dawn. Another of his works, Virgin Soil Upturned, would earn Sholokhov a Lenin Prize, although it would take him 28 years to complete it. 
There was some controversy about whether Sholokhov was actually the author of his greatest works, something that was claimed by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Solzhenitsyn was likely upset with Sholokhov's dismissal of One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. After careful review, it was determined that Sholokhov indeed was the author of all the works attributed to him. In 1965, he would become the third Russian to win a Nobel Prize in Literature. The Nobel Prize Committee based their award on Quiet Runs the Dawn, saying this about the novel, quote, For the artistic power and integrity with which, in his epic of the dawn, he has given expression to a historic phase in the life of the Russian people. Mikhail Sholokhov would die on February 21st, 1984, at the age of 78. Our next author is somebody I'm going to be doing an entire episode soon, and this is Alexander Esyevich Solzhenitsyn. Born on December 11th, 1980, in Klistlodosk, Stavropol Krai, to a vehemently anti-Bolshevik pro-Russian Orthodox family. While he would become a believer in communism early on in his life, that would change because of the many years he suffered in the Soviet gulag system. During the Khrushchev thaw, Solzhenitsyn would be released from prison in 1953, but would be sent into internal exile in South Kazakhstan. With Khrushchev's approval, he would publish One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich in 1962. The following year, he would publish... Matryona's Place, which would be the last work published in the Soviet Union. After Khrushchev was overthrown in 1964, Solzhenitsyn would lose favor with the new powers in the Kremlin. Solzhenitsyn would win the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1970, quote, for the ethical force with which he has pursued the indispensable traditions of Russian literature. However, he would not go to Stockholm to receive his award, as he was rightfully scared that he would not be allowed back into the Soviet Union. I will tell the rest of his story in a couple of episodes. Our next author is Alexei Maximovich Peshkov, but you know him better by his pen name, Maxim Gorky. I will extensively cover his work and life in the episode after Solzhenitsyn's. Born in Nizhny Novgorod on March 28, 1868, Gorky's early life was tragic and brutal. At the age of five, his father died, which caused his mother to send him to his grandparents. Maxim's grandfather was a cruel man, often punishing him for minor offenses. His grandfather's behavior caused Gorky to run away from his home until December 1887 when he attempted suicide. This was when he decided to roam the countryside on foot for the next five years to find himself and discover Russia. This would be the basis of his future writings. It would also be when he decided to change his name to Gorky, which means bitter in Russian. Gorky would use this time to ferment his vehement anti-Tsarist beliefs. His first article was entitled Makar Chudra, and was published in Tiflis, Georgia, on September 12, 1892. It would be the beginning of a very long literary career. The Russian people became aware of him with the publication of the short story Chelkash, which came out in St. Petersburg in 1885. From that moment on, his popularity soared, but it also made him a target of the repression of the revolutionary fervor spreading throughout Russia. In 
It is here that I'll move on to our next author. I'll tell Maxim's story in a few weeks. Nikola Alexeyevich Ostrovsky was born in what is now Ukraine on September 29, 1904. In 1917, at the age of 13, he became a Bolshevik Party activist. Unfortunately, he developed ankylosing spondylitis, a form of arthritis at the same time. It would later blind and paralyze him. Ostrovsky was seen as a Soviet socialist realist writer of Ukrainian author. His best-known work is his novel, How the Steel Was Tempered. The story follows the life of Pavel Gorchagin, including his fighting in and the aftermath of the Russian Civil War. This book about how Korchagin healed his wounds and became strong as steel would sell over 34 million copies. What is truly remarkable is that this novel was written by Ostrovsky while suffering from blindness and immobility due to his arthritis. It would be finished in 1930 and would spur two Soviet-era movies, as well as a short TV series. His last work, Born of the Storm, about the Civil War in Ukraine, would never be finished as he died at the age of 32 on December 22, 1936. Next is Joseph Brodsky, who was born on May 24, 1940, in Leningrad. His family was a very prominent and ancient rabbinic family, the Shores. Brodsky's first year of life, as were his family's, was on the edge of survival due to the siege of Leningrad. Both his parents survived, but one of his aunts died of starvation. Brodsky would come to feel the effects of anti-Semitism early on in his schoolings. It would cause him to dislike the Communist Party, and especially the leadership. He once wrote, quote, I began to despise Lenin, even when I was in first grade. Not so much because of his political philosophy or practice, but because of his omnipresent images. Brodsky would begin to produce poetry, secretly publishing his works at first. In 1960, the now 20-year-old Brodsky met Anna Akhmatova, as you recall, who was one of the leading poets of the Silver Age. She encouraged his work and would go on to become his mentor. His writing would become more and more critical of the Soviet authorities, who would eventually arrest him and charge him with social parasitism and sent him to a mental institution while awaiting trial. After being found guilty in 1964, he would be sentenced to five years of exile in Archangelsk. It would be a monumental time in his literary career. Anna Akhmatova laughed at the KGB's short-sightedness. Quote, What a biography they're fashioning for a red-haired friend. She went further on to say, It's as if he'd hired them to do it on purpose. Brodsky would continue to write poetry that went against the Soviet authorities. and would consider pub, you know, publishable. Uh, in 1972, after rejecting two offers to leave the Soviet Union for Israel, he was put on a plane to Vienna, never to return to Russia again. Brodsky would make his way to the United States, and in something of a real surprise to me, he taught at my alma mater, Queens College, a couple of years before I went there, between 1973 and 74. And in 1987, he would be awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature, the fifth Russian-born writer to do so. In an interview, he was asked, quote, 
You're an American citizen who's receiving the prize for Russian language poetry. Who are you, an American or a Russian? Brodsky replied, quote, I'm a Jew, a Russian poet, an English essayist, and of course, an American citizen. Brodsky would die on January 28, 1996, at the age of 55 in Brooklyn Heights, which is in New York. One of the more controversial parts of Brodsky's life, though, would come from his poem's poem on the independence of Ukraine, which was a scathing condemnation of Ukrainian independence, something that you can imagine as now being used by the current Russian government as a tool of propaganda. While staunchly anti-Soviet, Brodsky was very much a Russian imperial age fan. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join me next time as we begin to cover three of the most important authors in more depth, beginning with the first Russian to win a Nobel Prize in Literature, Ivan Bunin, followed by Alexander Solzhenitsyn and Maxim Gorky. So, until next time, das vidanya i spasiba bolshoya.